Um, hi, Mark and Cheryl, who I believe are watching from, from Portugal, I think. Hope you're having a nice holiday. We miss you, but we hope you're resting. Um, right, hi, everyone. Um, I hope you're all really well and feeling the joy of being in the Lord's presence this morning. I really enjoyed that worship. Um, so I have um, quite a, a bit to share this morning, but I, I have no idea how long it will last and I have no idea what we'll do at the end. So be keeping your heart open to what the Lord is, is saying to you and the, the things that he's bringing out of this for you and, and your heart specifically. Um, yeah, so we've been looking at Hebrews recently. I'm not, not going to look at Hebrews. I'm just going to talk about some things that God um, brought up in an area leaders meeting, uh, probably about a month ago now, I think. And an area leaders meeting is just for people who lead life groups and various different bits of, of, the, of the church family here. Um, so I'm going to talk about some of what God said in that meeting and also talk about... Um, what that means for us as a body and how that relates to us um, reigning in life or um, displaying God's splendour. So that's where we're going today. Um, last time I spoke, I, there was a bit of a focus on the prophetic in what I said, and that's where I'm going to start this morning by sharing a couple of prophetic words from the area leaders meeting that we had, um, which were, I think, really pertinent and really important for us as a whole body. Um, and sometimes it's it's hard to find ways to feed all of the different things that are going on in different parts of the body back when we're all together. So I just wanted to start with that, really. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, um, there's going to be a lot of this, by the way. I'm sorry I didn't get my PowerPoint in on time, so you're going to be flicking around a lot. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. Um, and that's why I really want to share these words, just to encourage you and to build us up as a body, as our particular bit of, of the Lord's family here. So the words that came up at area leaders about a month ago, we were just worshipping together and a song kind of arose in the meeting, um, which had the words, he has made you oaks of righteousness, planted for the display of his glory, strong and sturdy ones, not easily moved. And it was really funny because we were, we were singing around that for a while. And then someone else in the meeting said that just before that song had kind of arisen, he'd had a picture of everybody in the room as an oak tree with really deep roots, standing really strong. And the verse that that is based on is Isaiah 61, verse 3. So it's just after the bit that Jesus reads when he starts his ministry, when he, he's in the synagogue and he reads that bit about um, um, setting the captives free and, and so on. Um, so it's a verse after that. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Um, and I just, I thought this was really, really important for us. So I just wanted to highlight it at the beginning of the preach this morning. Um, we've all seen, I think we've all seen oak trees. We know how huge they are. They stand so tall above lots of other trees. They're strong, they're sturdy. Um, and I looked up this verse in a couple of commentaries and the, the commentators were talking about the beauty of oak trees but also the usefulness of oak trees. Um, it's not just that they're beautiful but it's that they're strong and they're usable. Um, so we as Oaks of Righteousness are not just beautiful, I mean we all are obviously, but we are also useful to the Lord and he has planted us in this particular time and place in this season for, for a reason um, because he wants to do things through us. And the second thing that I wanted to bring out was about the righteousness thing, which sort of links with what Mark has been preaching to us about um, from Hebrews over the last number of weeks 
Our righteousness is not, it's, it's part of us inherently because of what Jesus has done for us. Our righteousness doesn't come from our own works, from our own actions. We, we, we know that. It comes from what Jesus has done. It's an indwelling thing in us because of Jesus. Um, and that righteousness, we don't have to do anything um, because we've been made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice and the blood that covers us, um, like Paul was just praying now. Um, and then the third bit is really for the display of God's glory. So I think this is perhaps, this is the bit I'm going to draw on the most for the preach today. Um, perhaps most importantly, other people outside of our, our church family are inspired um, when they see God's favour shining on us, when they see him shining out of us. When we are um, standing tall like the oak trees that we are, we are displaying God's splendour to people who don't know him. Um, people see God's favour shining on us. They see his face in us. We are the display of his splendour to the world outside. Um, and I just thought that was beautiful. So we at Faith Life, we're called to be those oaks of righteousness. Um, we're called to have those deep, deep, deep roots, to be strong, to be sturdy, um, but to display the splendour of the Lord to the communities around us most of all. Um, we've been planted by the Lord and for the Lord. We didn't just end up here. Um, we didn't just bring ourselves here by our own choice, you know. Um, we've been planted by the Lord and for the Lord to display his favour and his goodness and his blessing and his joy and his love to everyone around us. Um, and when we display that, other people will come running because it's the good news. <laughs> and Jesus is, Jesus is the best news. Um, and that it's such an attractive thing when we're standing tall and, and shining out um, what God's put in us. Then there was a second word um, in the area leaders meeting just after that, which Roger actually mentioned in his preach last week, um, which comes from Genesis 49:22. Just as a reminder, it says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. So this sort of portion of scripture is Jacob's blessing for his, for his sons, for the, the tribes of Israel. And this verse speaks of a kind of extraordinary multiplication and increase. For Joseph and a fruitfulness which is is fed by the nearby spring. Um, John 4 verse 14 says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Um, so it's Christ in us that makes us fruitful and this verse speaks of branches climbing over a wall. So at Faith Life, we're called to, we have that spring within us, Christ within us, which makes us fruitful. But we're also called to, um, to overcome obstacles in our fruitfulness and to continue to increase. And Mark's been, he's mentioned a few times recently about um, how this increase won't necessarily look like um, traditional church growth. I mean, it might do or it might not. Um, but actually, it's the, the most important thing is that that growth is about more of God's power, more of his presence, more of his love with us, um, more of that delight of being with him. So those were the kind of words that came up in area leaders, which I felt were important for us all to reflect on and think about and mull over in our hearts um, as part of this family. Um, <laughs> I've been thinking about this preach for weeks. I have various reminders in my phone that kept reminding me, you know, you're preaching on the 15th, you're preaching on the 15th. And so I was thinking and thinking and thinking. And uh, all I knew I wanted to say was to share those words, really, <laughs> about a week ago. Um, 
And then I listened to a preach that really ties in with all of those words. It was really timely this week. Um, and it also ties in with some of the things that God has spoken to us um, or spoke to Mark and Cheryl years ago when they actually planted the church or started the church in the first place um, about being rooted and grounded in love and being family. Um, so those are two things that I'm also really going to focus on um, today. And it was great, like, listening to this, this preach and just hearing all of these thoughts and which were kind of, which grew and inspired my thoughts. So it was, it was great. Um, I'd really encourage you all to, like, listen to preachers online. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so I'm going to spend this morning sharing some of my thoughts um, and considering what it means to display God's splendor in our time and place, how we can take hold of these words for us as a church. So, um, oh, I'm just going to have some water just before I really get onto a roll. So, reigning in life is another phrase to sort of explain what it means to display God's splendor. So, I'm going to use both those phrases, reigning in life, um, as in reigning, not weather reigning, um, and, and displaying God's splendor. Romans 5 verse 17 says, for, sorry, I should give you more time. Romans 5 verse 17, if anyone wants to look it up, I will pause for a second. Okay. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I'll read that one more time. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So this verse, obviously we know that death, decay and destruction entered the world through the sin of, of Adam and Eve. Um, but the, the thing I want to draw out here is that the abundant grace of God and the gift of Jesus holds so much more power and authority for us than Adam's action in the garden. Jesus totally changed the course of history for us. So how much more will we reign in life? How much more will we prosper and flourish as a result of, of the gift of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ that is within us? Um, so the, like I've already said, that righteousness is within us because we're in Christ. And, our, and that righteousness is not achieved by anything we do. It's simply received. Mark has been talking to us about inheritance and the fact that you can't earn an inheritance. It's, it's just there for you to either take or not take. It's not dependent on your actions at all. Um, so our righteousness can't be achieved by our own works or changed after Jesus won our righteousness for us. It's there. It's just whether we, whether we receive it or not. Um, Colossians 3 says, our life is now hidden in Christ with God. And 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So the righteousness that this verse is talking about and the righteousness of the oaks, that gift of righteousness that enables us to reign in life and to display the Lord's splendor, it's our inheritance by God's grace because we are one with him in spirit and we're seen by the Father as if we are. Jesus himself. He's, he's clothed us in himself. And it's because of this that we can reign in life and display God's splendor. So what does it actually mean to reign in life? What does it look like? Um, Matthew 5 verse 16 says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There's also, there's that passage about how we, we're not given a light to hide it under a bushel, but to put it on a stand so that the whole house can see by that light. Um, we're not called to hide the light that we carry. It's very easy when we're in church on a Sunday, I think, to be very comfortable with what we know and, just, and to be with each other and to have these lovely times of fellowship together. Um, but we're, we're called not to hide the light that we carry, but to display it not just to one another, but to other people outside who, who don't know the Lord yet, who, who don't know the love of Jesus yet. Um, and it's our good works, it's, it's Christ within us that empowers us to do those good works, which points people to God. I mean, I know sometimes people um, find God and have a, like a, a dream of Jesus, and then they're miraculously just saved and brought into the kingdom. And that happens and God does all sorts of things like that. But also, people get saved because they see people who love Jesus. There's a, I think Mike told me this, I hope it's right. There's a statistic that says that um, it's something like people tend to have 30 different encounters with Christians, people who love Jesus, different conversations, until they get to a point where they give their life to Christ. Um, so it's really, really, really important that we are displaying the light that is within us um, and that means <laughs> living a life of living in the blessing and the favour and the joy of God, because that's what is attractive to others. That's what is so attractive that it draws people to the Father when they see that, that joy, that delight, that, that goodness and that blessing that the Lord pours out. Um, so reigning in life and displaying God's splendour is, is receiving God's favour and goodness and pointing always to the source of that goodness, just always pointing back to the Father, always pointing back to Jesus, um, who's the one who loved us first, who gave himself so that we could even receive the Father's favour in the first place. Um, so when we're planted like oaks, when, we're, when we take up that position, we're not afraid to take up that position of being tall and noticeable and strong, and sturdy, and beautiful, and attractive to the world outside, which is, you know, dying, and in need, and, you know, feeling such loss so much of the time. Um, when we do that, we model a different way of living, which is an open invitation to others to just join that joy-filled, blessed relationship with the Lord. Um, I don't think people ever come to Jesus out of obligation or indifference, ever especially not indifference. You can't be indifferent about Jesus once you've heard the good news. Either you receive it or you don't. Like indifference is not, people don't come to him as a result of feeling indifferent about it. Like, mm, may as well. Um, they come because of God's glorious love and his goodness. And they don't see that unless we open our lives up to display it. Um, so that's through us. Um, So now I'm at a point where I put something in that I didn't know whether I would say or not. And Roger prayed for me to have clarity about those things. So I'm going to read it anyway. This has nothing to do with anything I've just said, but God put it in my heart. So I'm just going to read it. It's a quotation from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, which is an awesome book. Um, so maybe there's just someone here who needs to hear this today. I, I don't know. C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing 
that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I don't have anything else to say about that, so I'll just leave that there. Um, so I just also, before I move on to like where we reign in life, um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about complaining. <laughs> I often, um, sometimes I choose to complain. Often I fall into the habit of complaining. Either way, it's still complaining. Um, Mike often reminds me about it. And um, I just think, you know, I think Mark has said this to us before. I remember him saying it sometime a while ago. When we're buried in complaint, we lose focus on the amazing favour of the Lord. There's always something to complain about, right? There is always something that, like this week, we, ha we had to move some stuff around. And I was like, oh, we've got to move some stuff around. And Mike was like, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of our car, which we didn't have six months ago. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> That's a better way of looking at this situation. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to encourage us this morning to engage ourselves in thankfulness. In Colossians 3, um, there's a little phrase that says cultivate thankfulness. Um, practice it, grow it, nurture it, make it, make it a habit, you know. Um, re let's, let's remind ourselves of everything the Lord has given us because when we're displaying his splendour um, to everyone outside of our family here, um, I mean, we're not displaying his splendour if we're complaining. <laughs> Seems like an obvious thing to say, but I often forget it. Um, 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says that we have all we need for life and godliness. That was, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Um, we have all we need for life and godliness. So God has poured out this incredible provision on us. Um, he's given us his very self, his Holy Spirit living in us. He's clothed us in Christ and we're empowered to live in a way that displays his splendour. So reigning in life is, is not focused on complaint, but recognising the favour of the Lord, what he's given us, and then releasing it, releasing it to others. Um, so it's not a way for us to draw attention to ourselves. It's not a way for us to build our own empire or anything like that, but it's using the authority that we have, the, the position that we have as those righteous oak trees um, to, to point to the Lord and to... Um, and to rejoice and share his favour. Okay. Um, so where do we reign in life? Every part of life. I'm sure you guys already got that and knew that. Um, Christ has empowered us to be um, to reign in life in every, every single part of it. So that doesn't change. That's not dependent on, on our actions. That's not dependent on our past. That's not dependent on anything that's happened to us this week, how people have treated us or anything like that. Um, the Lord is the one who has planted us. Our righteousness is because of Christ. So we reign in life 
in every circumstance and in every area at all times. Um, part of that is that we are the Lord's solution, I believe, to earthly problems. We are instruments in his hands to provide his solutions for the world. Um, God, God has a solution for, for every situation. He, he actually has a solution for every situation in the world. Um, and he doesn't just, do, he doesn't, I don't think God likes doing things on his own. He likes doing things in partnership with us. He likes working with us and imparting his heart to us, making us part of his solution. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. Um, he's searching. God's searching for, um, for people to, to commit to him and open their hearts um, like any love relationship, like any friendship, like any, um, just any familial relationship, romantic relationship, anything, God is passionate about us knowing him, him knowing us, communing with us, us hearing his voice, knowing his voice. Um, he's, he's not impartial about that. And he's, I think the Lord is desperate. He just is so desperate to speak and his eyes are searching through the earth for those committed hearts which are ready to receive his word that he, that he wants to speak. Um, and when we hear that voice, when we hear his life-giving voice, I believe he gives us solutions for problems in the world outside of this church family. Um, so whatever workplace you're in, whatever the family situation, whatever relationship might be a struggle, um, whatever community you, you live in locally, um, God is wanting to release life-giving words to you for those contexts, for you to partner with him and bring his solutions to the people around you. So um, ruling and reigning in every area of life is about releasing God's solutions for, for the world's problems. Um, secondly, ruling and reigning isn't just an option, I don't think. We can obviously, well, it is, we can choose not to live in that way. But... Um, I believe we have a responsibility to live out a blessed life. We have a responsibility to, um, to recognise and be grateful for the Lord's favour upon us and to share that with others. Because if we don't do that, those who don't know God just don't see it. Roger um, talked about us being a fruitful vine. And that fruitfulness is the overflow of God's goodness and blessing and kindness in our lives to others. Um, so our, the fact that we as a family are rooted in love, the fact that we're investing in our relationships as family, um, that grows into this fruitfulness. And I think it's our responsibility to invest and to um, prioritise being family and to prioritise... Um, gratitude and cultivating that thankfulness for the Lord's favour so that we release that to the world. Okay. What's the time? Okay. I'm, good, I'm doing okay, aren't I? I'm not going on too long. Okay. Um, Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Yeah 
so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. I'll just read that again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Um, 67, 1 to 2, yeah. So I found it really interesting, actually. Paul mentioned God's face shining in a couple of prayers this morning, and I think one of the songs did as well. So I think this is something that the Lord is, is really highlighting to us this morning. First of all, the fact that his face is shining on us with the goodness of a father. Like, how, how amazing is that? Um, he's, he does not have his back to you. He does not have his back to you. His face is turned towards you, and it's shining with um, pleasure and delight. Um, I just love being reminded of that. Um, and that's the picture of the Lord's face that we just that we want the world outside to see. That picture of the shining face of the Lord, um, delighting in his children. Um, the world, I think, often pictures God as just angry and condemning and full of rules. Um, but the reality is he's just and he's fair. But most of all, he is love. He is love. Um, when the outpouring of his favour and his blessing and that kindness is tangible in our lives and measurable, um, others see it and move towards Jesus because it's so attractive. Like I've said already, like why, why would you run away from that? You know, that display of, it might take longer for some people than others. You know, there's all, like, all sorts of other things you can talk about there, but that joy, that love, that blessing, that favour, that shining face, um, when we live that out, and when we make his favour tangible in our lives and display it, I think that's a really important thing for those, those people that we're in relationship with. Okay, so I'm getting there. I'm fairly near the end now. Okay, so two main areas where we can reign in life um, that I wanted to focus on today. First of all, our thought life, and secondly, our relationships. We've actually heard a lot about thought life in the last few weeks, um, so I'll try not to be repetitive. Um, but I do think it's something the Lord is highlighting to us a lot at the moment. So um, both Mark and Roger have spoken to us about the battleground of our minds. Roger spoke about it last week. Um, and the battleground for our life is often one in between our ears, right there in the way that we think. Um, Roger used a great phrase last week. He said, right thoughts equals right beliefs equals right actions. So when our, when our thoughts are in the right place, um, when we're doing battle over our thoughts and capturing them for Christ, that follows through into other areas of our lives. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Praise God. <laughs> I don't like swords and guns. Um, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Um, the first place the enemy attacks us is in our thoughts. Because if he can stop us living in fullness of faith, even if we're still living in partial faith, he's disempowered us. And he's robbed us. I'll just say that again because I think it's important. Um, if I can find it. <laughs> if, he, if the enemy can stop us living in fullness of faith... Even if we're still living in partial faith, he has disempowered us and he's robbed us. Our, the, the measure of what Christ has won for us is fullness of faith, not partial faith. 
um, it's, it's fullness, that gift of faith that he's given us. And so in our thoughts, um, the enemy will introduce any possible kind of, of doubt, guilt, shame, fear, distraction. Um, we know this, we experience this every day um, to affect our thought life. Because when our thought life is affected, we think we can accomplish less than what we actually can. And that's that partial faith thing. <laughs> if, if he even robs just the slightest um, thing from you, if there's, a, if there's a seed sown in your mind that is not, not a thought that the Lord has planted there, um, that affects how we see ourselves and how we live out um, that reigning in life that I've been talking about. So it's as we do battle over our thoughts that we position ourselves strategically to, um, to reign in life and to display God's splendour. So capturing our thoughts is a strategic positioning that we're doing of ourselves. I also wanted to talk about, just quickly, about God's creativity. So we've, I've talked already about God's kind of creative solutions to the world's problems and how he, can, he, he plants those in our hearts for us to share. Um, he uses, the Lord's creativity dispels hopelessness. Um, I'm just reminded of that verse at the beginning of, of John where it says the light, the light came into the world and the darkness didn't overcome it. And when, well, the first words that God spoke, let there be light. Um, when God speaks, um, he creates and it brings life, it brings light and it displays, it dispels, sorry, hopelessness. It, it um, gets rid of depression. Um, and that's why it's so important to do battle over our thoughts and to preserve the creative ideas, creative thoughts that God has put within us. Um, so 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. And... We want his thoughts to be our thoughts. When we have the mind of Christ within us, um, what, becomes, what is the reality inside us can become reality in the world outside. I'm just going to read Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. Should have marked it. Um, so that's Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus is clearly living in this reality. Um, in his heart of to just total peace. He was just in a total internal place of peace. Um, 
And in this story, we see that Jesus's peace that enabled him to sleep in the midst of the storm, he speaks it to the world outside and he changes the situation that's going on outside. So his internal reality, his, his faith, his place of peace, he declared it to the world around him and the world around him changed. The situation of the storm changed. Um, he was empowered to release his peace, his victory, the victory that he had in his soul. He was empowered to release it to the world outside, to that storm. When we have victory in our souls, when our thoughts are in line with the Lord's thoughts, um, we are positioned to release our victory, that same victory to the world around us, whatever situation that might be, whether it's a storm, an actual storm or anything else. Um, we are positioned and we have the capacity to rule and to reign and to shape the world outside because of what has happened within us, the transforming work that Christ has done, um, the victory that we have within us. When we think with God, when we think in his way, we can release who he is, his hope, his joy to others. Um, so ruling, reigning and displaying his splendour means um, aligning our thought life with his so that we release his victory to others. Um, okay, and the second and the last thing really that I want to talk about today is relationship and family. Which is one of my favourite things to talk about, actually. Um, so people who have been at Faith Life for a long time will have heard that phrase, rooted and grounded in love, loads of times. Um, it's one of the core values and the, the, one of the most important things about being part of this family is that we're rooted and grounded in love, that we're serving one another, that we're preferring each other, that we're thriving together, not just separately. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, is um, that fairly well-known passage about the, the body of Christ and how every part is different. I wasn't going to read all of it. But I might just read oh, a couple of bits. Um, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body, body be? But now there are many members and one body. There's a lot more there. Um, but I think that gets across what I'm kind of focusing on here. If we were all the same, the body of Christ just wouldn't work in the way that God designed it to. Um, it sounds simple, but it's so important for us to remember this. We all fit together. Every single person here is here for a reason and a purpose. And we fit together as a body, as this, as this very particular part and expression of the body, of the whole body of Christ. We, we fit together. Um, 
part of being family is recognising, not just recognising, but also celebrating our diversity and our difference. Our different, that the things that make our hearts thump will be different for each of us. Our talents, our gifts, our, um, our priorities, our personalities, those differences are to be celebrated. Um, unity is only possible when there is difference. Because if there's no difference, then it's just uniformity. Everyone's just the same. Um, every person in this room, every individual carries a unique expression of Christ. And these expressions strengthen us. When we're in relationship with each other, we are strengthened by our differences, not moved apart by them. Um, and we have so much more potential to impact the world as a church family when we celebrate our differences. Um, so at every point where there's a connection between us in relationship, um, there's a release of life. So many of you will have found that when you're just having a chat over coffee or someone just comes in and they've noticed something or they've remembered something about what's going on in your life and they say to you, how is that thing? Or um, can I pray with you about that? Or you just have a laugh with someone. There's a release of life there. There's something really good about building each other up and being with one another. And it's our responsibility to keep that flow of life between the different members of this church family and our body. It's our responsibility to keep our relational connections open and honest and clear so that we are um, together, like really together. That doesn't mean it's always easy, but it is our responsibility, I think, to to keep our hearts soft towards the Lord and towards one another um, so that we can be, like, truly be family together. So one crucial way that we reign in life and display the Lord's splendour is the way that we navigate our relationships. Um, one way that we can display God's splendour is to be vulnerable in our relationships with each other and to navigate the difficulties that sometimes come with relationships either within this church family or with or families, friends, people outside, colleagues, whoever. Um, one way we display his splendor is to navigate the dis- difficulties of relationship in a way that points to Jesus and in a way that demonstrates his love. Um, the world is filled with broken relationships. It's filled with self-promotion. Um, but when we demonstrate the ability to have strong and honest relationships, we are, we're pointing to the Lord and we're displaying his goodness. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Mark has talked about that as he's been taking us through through Hebrews. Um, the context of that second bit about the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, John chapter 13 starts with uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet in one of the most, um, I think, poignant and beautiful expressions of love that, that we see. Um, after he's washed all of the disciples' feet, including Judas, he predicts his betrayal and he um, passes a piece of bread to, he said, the one to whom I pass this piece of bread is the one who will betray me. And he passes the bread to Judas. And Judas then leaves. 
And it's after this that he gives this commandment to love one another. And I just love, I love the context of that. The fact that Jesus had just taken the lowest place with the person who was about to betray him. Despite the fact he knew that person was about to betray him, he took the lowest place and loved and served. Um, And that's the context of the commandment that we must love one another. It's pretty challenging that. But that's the context. Um, So that commandment to love one another is what perhaps speaks to the world more than anything else. The love that we are called to as a family here doesn't ignore adversity. It doesn't ignore difficulty. um, But it persists through adversity and through difficulty. Um, It's a love which chooses to keep on loving, to keep on preferring the other, the other person, to commit to live as family, um, whatever might come. Um, And that persistence is what displays God's splendor, I think, more than anything else to the world where there is so much brokenness in this area. Okay, right, I've literally got two paragraphs and I'm done. Um, I just wanted to share an example for, for Mike and me, actually. Mike and I. Terrible grammar, sorry, everyone. Um, we've been deeply impacted by the, the love and the generosity that we've experienced from this family since we arrived in September. Um, lots of you will know about our situation. We're traveling backwards and forwards between Cambridge and Croydon. Um, I'm a teacher in Croydon. I was working five days a week until Christmas. Now I'm working four days a week. We go backwards and forwards. Um, When Mike handed in his resignation at his previous job in May, we had absolutely zero idea where we were going to be living. But Mark and Cheryl, obviously being Mark and Cheryl, said we could go and stay at theirs for as long as we needed to till we figured things out. Um, We actually still didn't really have a clue where we'd be living at the start of September. Then we found out about this lovely blessing that was on the way. So it was a really quite um, intense time of quite a lot of change and uncertainty in some ways. Um, but we were and, and are incredibly, amazingly blessed, um, practically, financially, spiritually, by you as a family, because we've had three different families or couples open up their homes to us. I don't think I'd cry. That's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? We've had people just open up their homes, like, completely generously and just they've just let us stay there just without any obligations without any need to pay anything back or do anything specific um we've just had people we've experienced people just really generously meeting our need um and it's just been such a blessing we feel so loved and so um supported and cared for And that really is, I think that's what family is. Um, So I just wanted to share that because it's, for some of those people, I don't think it's, they don't really think it's a big thing. (laughs) They kind of think it's just, they're just doing it out of kindness and love and out of the overflow of Christ in them. But for us, that has has spoken to us so much and been such a blessing for us. Um, And I think that's what it's like for the world outside, you know, when we display the Lord's splendor and overflow. It's the same thing. Um, We might not even realise what we're doing and how much of a blessing it is. So just to finish, um, I'll just read those two verses from the beginning again. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. So I just really want to leave you just to reflect and to think about how you as an oak of righteousness can display the Lord's splendor, where he's particularly calling you to do that at the moment, how you can engage with your thought life and with your relationships to, um, to shine out his favor and his goodness and his kindness, which he's, which he's poured out on us. Um, as faith life, it's our collective inheritance and identity to, to be fruitful, to be rooted and grounded in love, to be family together. Um, individually, how can we invest in those things, but also corporately and collectively? How can we invest in our relationships and our thought lives and our togetherness to display his splendor? Um, Okay, I'm going to finish there.